Welcome back, everybody, to the Real Weirdos Podcast, where one and a half white men with English degrees talk about movies for way too goddamn long. We hope you're all doing okay today in the madness that is this world. And today, we're here to talk about everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, It's a new movie. This is the year 2022 that we're recording in, and this is a new movie. And uh, Alex, you wanted to watch this. I did. I wanted to watch it too. I didn't know anything about it except that everyone was freaking out about it. Yeah. That's all I knew, basically. I heard like things, you know, like from people word of mouth, like, oh, it's it's the highest grossing A24 film ever, you know? And I was like, what? Is it actually? Is that true? It is. Even more than like Ari Aster's stuff? It's made 84 something million dollars. Oh, his stuff like doesn't make that much i don't think a lot of the a24 films that were coming out were like critically renowned critically expected like the green knight and things like that but they're weirdo movies they make weirdo movies yeah but this one i was like okay what's going on you know because i i had heard that it was good but i didn't think that it was so good to be the highest grossing a24 movie that had come out so far right so i thought a bunch of different things about this movie i heard it was like all about the meta world Right, not meta, Zucker meta. Right, I'm talking about just no, the, the not term. the metaverse. It's exactly. much more interesting than the metaverse. Yeah. Um, and then I heard like, oh, like there are all these cool references in it, and I was like, oh, great. So it's just a film that's full of like fan and lip service, right? But then I, I like heard something from someone who I trust that was like, no, it's like a very original story that kind of like transcends all of the stuff all of the noise that you're hearing about it just go watch it and i was like fuck it okay that's what i kind of gathered i i i don't know how i gathered this but i decided to not look into it at all yeah because i don't like doing that i don't like spoiling the tone of movies for myself i don't like spoiling scenes Mm -hmm. so i just gathered from the reception that okay i'm gonna watch this and then when you said we should do it for the show i'm like i'm down let's do it next it came out pretty recently. It like premiered in the middle of March at South by Southwest. And then it just like blew up over the country. So I don't know. We're kind of late to it, I guess. But whatever, man. In a good See, way. It's it's a weird time now where I don't think that matters as much. And in a way, I think putting out your content, your review of something when it's available on streaming is going to be more timely than when it comes out in a theater, yeah. in a sense. You know, I think more people are going to see it on streaming than see it on theaters, because that's just pure numbers. Mm-hmm. Also, we don't care, whatever. Yeah. I think uh, in terms of us and like how, like I don't know, distracted we are and how all over the place we are in this show, like just doing things in relatively timely circumstance is good enough for me. <laughs> you yeah. Know? No, yeah, exactly. We're not talking about a movie 40 years after at this point. It's just a couple months. We're doing good. (laughs) Yeah, no, we're getting closer, people. (laughs) Pretty soon we'll start reviewing movies from the future. Ooh. What what should we do first? John Wick 4? Ooh. We do that tomorrow? Anyway, 
Um, so, <laughs> Alex. Well, we almost did Avatar the other day. <laughs> what did what? Did, so, what did you think of everything, everywhere, all at once? How'd you like it? Um, can I? Okay, let me let me even refine this. Yeah. Tell me about the process of watching it. Oh, okay. So you know what I mean. The first thirty minutes, I let's say the first fifteen minutes, I knew that it was going to be actually a great movie. It was going okay. to be interesting. And it, I was like so captivated from the start and I was willing to let it take me in any direction that it wanted to. Um, How did you know that? How did you know it would be a great movie? I think that the way that they introduced like some of the tonal elements um, as far as it being kind of, it's going to be somewhat sci-fi, a little thriller. Also kind of like soft hearted, but also... Like a black comedy, like a dark comedy. Um, there's going to be some like family drama. It blended all of that together so well. And then when it's introducing the kind of like sci-fi element of the different universes and you see the husband doing his things, I <laughs> yeah. didn't feel like it was too alarming or it didn't, it didn't stick out too much. I was like, okay, cool. I'm ready to do this. And I was like totally focused in on, on Evelyn's character. Um, and then by the end of the film, without getting like too superlative or too hyperbolic, I will say I think it's probably going to be one of the most important pieces of art in this next century. The whole century. Art or cinema? Like art or no, 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 no. art even more broadly. Just just more broadly. I think that this oh, wow. is like a locus point for something that was started a while ago. Um in art. Okay. In, in response, like I said to this, <clears throat> I talk about it all the time. It's this response to the world after postmodernism. This response to this millennial Gen X tinge of nihilism and nothing matters, dude, and blah, 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 blah. It's right. just so right. overplayed. It's so done. And, we're, and society in general is just sick of it. And like this film is like a cathartic just like blow up of all of that. And it does it in a, in a such an artistic way um, that yeah it is it can be called meta right and it does it in such a way that is so infused with social commentary. However, that's my own interpretation. That's my own like thematic consumption of the film as a cinematic piece. This movie is fucking beautiful. It's gorgeous. It is so good. <laughs> I loved this movie so much, and it is easily my favorite film of this year so far wow. of the f small amount of films that I've seen from 2022, which isn't a lot. Um, this one is like the best. It's better than the ones we watched last year too. And any of the ones we named for last year, I'm sorry. You know, no, no, you're, um, so I have responses to all of this and okay. I think we should, <laughs> we should get into why you think it's the most important or one of the most important pieces of art. But before that, I want to sort of do my, my, my echo of what you just did, right? Okay. Sort of lay it out because, like I said, I had no idea what this movie was. I didn't mm -hmm. know who was in it. I knew, all I knew is that it got meta and, like, weird and that people were saying that it was highly original and I knew that it was from the directors of Swiss Army Man. Yeah. The movie where Paul Dano rides on Daniel Radcliffe, who plays a farting corpse. So I had some idea of the tone that 
the film might be working with. But that's really it. And it was an interesting trajectory going through this movie. The first 15 minutes, I was like, okay, what's this going to do? You know, because I knew it would get wacky. I had no idea how wacky it yeah. would get. <laughs> and then, like, the the the, the sort of up, leading up to, like, the halfway point, it becomes absolutely bananas. Oh, yeah. Like, berserk bananas. And it was incredibly well done, hilarious, touching, but it kind of went too far in, in a few places where... I felt echoes of Kung Fu Hustle, oh, where like yeah, the cartoon yeah. factor was dialed up just a little too high, and I was like, oh, this is fun, but I don't know if I can handle a whole movie of this. Yeah. But then, the movie, as if understanding this, <laughs> tones down in the second half. It largely gets rid of the hot dog fingers and the dildos. <laughs> And all that stuff. <laughs> and becomes an existential metaphor while still like being tongue in cheek and funny and a touching family drama. It becomes a metaphor for disillusionment and nihilism and disconnection. And overall, it, it, it also, the narrative is that the way that you deal with those things is through being kind to people. And the way that you pull people back from the edge is through love and connection. And the way that it dealt with that was fucking beautiful. <laughs> Halfway through this movie, I was like, okay, I'm not sure if I can deal with this whole movie. And then by the end, I thought it was the best new movie we've watched on this show. Right? It's better than The Green Knight. It's better than Pig. It's better than fucking Dune. It's Dude. better than everything we've covered. <laughs> and much like the title, it's it's a wonderful mess. This movie is a wonderful, glorious mess. And it has every tone at the same time. It's funny. It's, it's heartbreaking. It's sad. It's beautiful. It's everything all at once. Dude, right? It's uh, well said. Like, it's... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's just... Uh, I don't know, man. There were there was a point like this movie got me in the middle of crying, but like I'm I'm crying and then like a scene comes on of like them embracing each other with hot, with dog, hot fingers. dog fingers. <laughs> and I like giggle for a second and yeah. it brings me right back into like the emotional shit. And I'm like, What? How did you do this? And I loved how you felt like I don't know. The movie like responded to me, right? Like you said, where it was like, okay, this is getting a little crazy, and then it's just like, all right, here we go. We're gonna. Talk I, I was like, down. I was like, I needed, I need you to 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 sit down for a minute, movie. Yeah. Like I'm getting exhausted, and then it literally goes to a panorama where the two characters are just rocks. Oh my god. And it just sits there, and I'm like, <sighs> perfect. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I love that part, man. Ah. Uh. Wow. But yeah, this this movie is like I can get I get why people are so, you know, big and excited about it. And it's funny because I feel like everyone I talked to couldn't really put their finger on it. And I mean, I don't blame them now. Like there's so many little things here to like suss out and pick out that I don't know, it's a beautifully done, a 
just piece of art. I don't know. Yeah. It's so hard so to there, explain. So there are so many different elements here. There's the family drama part, which is probably the core of it, you know, sort of yeah. understanding who you are and relating to people. And uh, on the on the sort of end other end of the spectrum, there's the science fiction element where I, I, I think there was a certain part um, in that first half where my brain was trying to suss out the science of this. And then I was like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, yeah. You, you have to say whatever, especially when you realize in the second half, if you didn't get it in the first half, that it's operating in a metaphorical space, mm-hmm. right? It's a metaphor for this family mm-hmm. and and the daughter relationship, the relationship with the father and the husband. And it's it's interesting because it's like, at the beginning, I, I was kind of on board with the science or I was like, uh, they were trying to explain it and do like a little expository thing for the audience where he's like talking about <laughs> they did. how to yeah. jump to different universes. You see him, uh, I'm talking about when I say him, her husband now, Waymond is his name. Yeah. Um, you see him in his like alpha verse, his original verse universe where he's like driving in a van with all like shitty foil wrapped around his head plugged into the christopher nolan machine yeah you know and it's like okay cool i'm like all in on this 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 it was giving me like hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy vibes a little bit um not necessarily the movie but like douglas adams books have that kind of like tone it's like existentialism satire but also you're like in sci-fi space travel world. So he's also doing the explicating of, of the technology and whatnot. Right. So I was like, okay, this is going to be a little goofy. Um, so that's what I really thought it was going into it. Like you said, I thought that the height of goofiness was what people were really like attaching themselves to that. And the mixture yeah. of meta. Yeah. And I was like, this could be a problem. Yeah. And if I was it like, just keeps this tone. For me, it was less of a problem and more of just like a, a flat, like it fell flat. I was like, okay, is this it? Is this what every, everyone's freaking out about? Like, okay, this is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and then, like you said, it just has this total Volta, like tonal shift. And it makes the movie make sense. And it also makes everything just, I don't know. It gives value to what came before. Exactly. Like the That's, silliness yeah. is kind of, it, it was a little bit exhausting. But I appreciate it so much more because of the Volta and because of the metamorphosis that the movie goes through and takes you through. And just a quick point on the science. Once you realize that it's basically just there in order to have wacky shit happen, yeah. like wacky visuals, then you're like, okay. Like, mm-hmm. like just, just kind of ignore the science in this movie. It's not about that. It's not about the logic of the science. It's about the emotions you know it's about the turmoil it's also about really inventive filmmaking oh my like um one of the things people like to bring up because it is really interesting is that nine people were responsible for the visual effects in this film and none of them went to school for it or anything they were just interested and you know i'm sure that like a thousand people worked on morbius that we covered last week mm. for these action scenes that I didn't even watch, mm-hmm. you know, that my eyes watched, but my brain didn't because it was just so dumb and boring. Yeah. But this one is just, it's the level of inventiveness in terms of pretty much everything, the level of imagination 
and the capability to bring that imagination into glorious, like colorful life is special. Yeah. It's really special. It's, it's really fucking unique, man. Dude, it, it that's like, th- I think the, the main thing, the main takeaway from this, or at least this discussion is like how highly original, which is a phrase you use to describe it. Like this film is, and it's, it's so rare. Like it's so rare to encounter a film like this, that by the time I was almost done with the movie, I was like grateful that I was able to experience the film like this. And I was glad that I had jumped on, you know, this train and this momentum behind it. Um, And I see why it has created such a buzz because it is so tremendously innovative, not, excuse me, not innovative. Um, It's so tremendously like simple in its originality. It's not like, it's not taking you to other worlds or anything like that. Like this isn't Avatar. I mean, it literally is, Alex. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that is so true. So like, you <laughs> fucked up. Hashtag shut yeah, up. I did. <laughs> um, um, no parallel realities. But like this simplistic way that it presents this idea of different universes to us, it like. Man, I don't know how to say it, but like this movie made me feel that like interdimensional love and connection way more than something like Interstellar did, right? <laughs> I and, had Interstellar in my brain right as you said that. I was like, Anne Hathaway. Dude, and Interstellar <laughs> was like the that was like the focus of the entire movie, right? This movie is like I don't know. The <laughs> the Daniel Kwan and um what is his name? Uh Shiner, Daniel Shiner. They did yeah. a great job. And I think that the writing, too, really reflects how original the film was. The writing was so good that it would, it allowed them to just, like, live in all of these different thematic spaces without each one feeling too unreal. There were some parts that got a little shaky, for sure. Like hot dog fingers and dildo fighting. And then, like, the, the that, whole Those went thing. a little a little over the edge for me <laughs> where I was like, okay. I accepted <laughs> it all. I accept everything this movie did by the end. But there were definitely moments where I was like, all right. Yeah. But, but <laughs> this movie is so original that it makes other movies that I thought felt original feel less original. You know what I mean? It's like oh, it, it changes the metric. It raises the bar to where, I don't know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Dude, it's like, just, it's like, I've never seen anything like it. And you, you so <laughs> rarely get a treasure like this yeah. that is its own thing. It's just its own thing. It has, of course, it has many nods to things, right? It has many nods to cinema. You have Christopher Nolan in there mm-hmm. with Inception. You have The Matrix, obviously. Mm-hmm. You have um, a lot of like martial arts comedy. There's a lot of nods to Jackie Chan. In fact, I learned that this was originally going to be a Jackie Chan vehicle before they decided it would be a woman, uh, Michelle Yeoh. So glad they made that choice. Yeah, it would have made it. It would just a Jackie Chan different. movie. I don't know. Like it would have yeah, made it different. Jackie Chan silly is a totally different level of silly. But yeah, there were references even to Michelle Yeoh's own career as like an actress in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. There were some shots from her actually walking on the red carpet, you know, like yeah, for like Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> Another uh, key point too is that if it was a Jackie Chan movie, we would not have had Waymond Wang. 
who is possibly the most adorable figure in all of cinema now. He's definitely one of my favorite characters in all of movies. Oh. I love him. And did you know that the actor is Short Round? I did. Absolutely. It's short round. I learned that today when I was waiting for you to get back from the city. <laughs> really? Oh, shit. Okay. See. I was looking at him and I was like, he hasn't been in anything in like 20 years. Holy shit. Yep. It's short round from yep. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Data and then when, when you watch the, Goonies. the movie. Oh, and the Goonies. He's uh, Dana. Yeah. Yeah. When you watch the film, you can hear his voice and you're like, holy shit. It's you. He like doesn't he like barely he barely looks any different like it it looks I know totally I just... plausible that he is aged into this person and I feel like they gave little nods to his career as well. He had his little fanny pack with all of the useful items in it just oh, like in the you're Goonies. right. Like You're right. <laughs> uh, yeah, when he he is so touching throughout oh my, the whole dude. movie <sighs> and especially towards the end when he talks about how he knows the world is bad and messed up and there's all sorts of messed up stuff but how he chooses to be kind as a defense mechanism and a survival mechanism mm-hmm. and this go this starts going into what you were speaking of a little while ago absolutely in terms of acting as a response to the nihilistic part of, mm-hmm. of modernity i guess and he's just, his whole thing is just be kind. And when he says be kind, mm-hmm. I cried a little bit. Dude, I, there were several it was moments in this beautiful. movie where I cried. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad you brought that scene up because that, like, if I were to write an essay about that thematic element of this film and its response to the postmodern nihilism and cynical world that we've created, um, which in itself was a response to modernism, you know, and then, like, romanticism and things like that like these literary and artistic movements are all kind of responses to each other you know and they build on each other but after a while like the postmodern thing i'm like okay this is getting like really grinding we're like turning into these people you know like you don't want to actually be these people like these people have taken a new view of society and skewered it and shown us the dark and seedy underbelly you know and that it's not all white picket fence in 1950s. We just won World War II. I get that. Right. But after a while, it's like, this is 2023. We have dealt with tons of shit since then. Like, what is wrong with just being like, you know what? Just throwing up your hands in the air and being like, fuck it. We can just be nice to each other. And it sounds so cliche and so hallmarky, but when you really get to like the core aspect of it, I would build a paper or a project around that one scene where she's the super actress, you know, and she's meeting him later on and they're sharing a cigarette outside, which also is a shout out to Wong Kar Wai, the person, the director we just talked about from Hong Kong. Okay. Um, okay. And that shot, those shots and the way that he's dressed are a direct like reference to In the Mood for Love, that film we talked about. So anyways, that scene especially would be the one that I, it would be like the cornerstone, right? Scene that then I would build my argument from and reach out into all other aspects of the movie. Evelyn later on picks it up herself and then she starts to elucidate the argument as well, like right towards the end. But man, like the way that they brought it up, I felt like I loved when he said, you know, like, I know you think you're a fighter. And he's like, I know you don't think that I am. He's like, but I fight every day. 
because it, it is really easy to be cynical in today's world and it's a lot harder to be positive that's what the that's the brilliance in the construction of the argument that this film has with this narrative within the film yeah. it's not just saying be nice to people there yeah. are plenty of movies and things that do that what it does is set up the entire structure of the argument within the film where it, it's not just saying be nice it sets up the the everything bagel of negativity right mm -hmm. if we can call it that that is the postmodern yeah nature <laughs> nature yep. that you're you you specifically rail against a lot exactly yeah, yeah. and then responds to it within the film so it's a well-rounded artistic argument where all sides are represented within the same piece of art mm -hmm. and it's it's also it's interesting at this while at the same time the movie deals with every tone well, we Dude. sort of alluded to that earlier when we say that the film also, in terms of its tone, is everything all at once. I don't know about everywhere, but it's a lot of places, too. Yeah. You got raccoons and hats. <laughs> Ra I mean, Raccoony. If anyone has heard me talk about this thing where I, I've railed against like these postmodern themes before, you know that like it's like a bubbling cauldron of ideas, right? Where I spill over the side. I, I quite don't have a cohesive direction or argument myself. It's just the way that I feel. Now this film is the end product of someone sitting down with the same argument almost, but creating something beautiful and cohesive with direction and with narrative. Like it's, I, it is a beautiful know. response to postmodern cynicism. Yeah. Yeah. So they do so well in like, because for me, it's really hard for me to wrangle this argument because it captures, it's such a wide net. It's really big. So many things. And you can go to the mid 1850s, you can go to the 1800s even if you wanted to start, right? But it's like this film, when I saw it, I was like almost jealous. I was like, damn, I should have done this. <laughs> I was That's jealous. What I was saying, like, I you was know? jealous when I looked up and saw that the director is the same age as me. Yeah, I was talking to you about this earlier, but I was like, God damn! I mean, good for him. I, mm -hmm. I love that he exists and that he's doing it. I just felt bad about me <laughs> a little Dude. bit. Oh man, I was just watching it and I was like, uh, this is the worst version of Alex, isn't it? You know? And I'm like, God damn it! I'm in that universe. Someone. It does come make save you me. look at yourself. Yeah, oh. you oh, think yeah. about all the different tangents that one little decision could have could have taken you on. You know, like there yeah. there was just just for like an example, there was one point in my life where I was done with everything, and I just like took off. And I could there was a point in my journey where I was like a couple states away where I could have kept going, mm -hmm. but I made the decision to turn back. And it's, oh. it's just like one of those little nexus moments where you're like, what would have happened in your life? You know. Oh man. Or just I don't know, it's like sometimes you meet somebody who becomes your best friend and you go on adventures together and it's like the tiniest little choice that you made would have led to you not meeting that person. And oh, yeah. therefore a butterfly effect type of thing your whole life and their whole life would be drastically different. Oh, definitely. I mean, I had a friend who uh in like 5th or 6th grade saw me reading um No One Here Catch Gets Out Alive. No, the okay. it's the biography of Jim Morrison. Okay. And he like You were reading that in sixth grade? 
Oh yeah, dude. My dude, like I you said, were my, cool. My dad, <laughs> Jesus, and my my mom were super into the Doors. So I was not that cool in sixth grade. So I think he picked up on that, and he thought I was just trying to be cool about it, right? He thought I just was carrying it around because it had a picture of Jim Morrison's face on it. And so he was like, "Oh, do you know what his dad actually did for a job? Did you read that book?" I'd never met this kid in my life, and I was like, "Yeah, his dad was a Navy admiral. I just read it like." few months ago in this book because it took me like a few months to read books then and from that point on it was just like this weird friendship that lasted for like 15 years and I mean it was awesome we went on all those adventures together we were always like intellectually sparring with one another in a good way you know in like a young way yeah and yeah. I always wonder like what if I had not brought that book that day what if he wasn't in my class what if he just never said anything to me what if he didn't find like what if he was shy enough to just not try and intellectually challenge someone else in the class that he had never met mm. and I feel like if that would have happened I would have been much more boring of a person really we got in a lot of trouble together and he spurred okay. me on to do things to like live outside of my shell a little bit so Smoke meth, put cherry bombs in the toilets. Exactly. All that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, damn. Those go hand in hand, right? Like, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, we'll get back to the movie in a second here. But if 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 anyone's listening is listening to this, on the off chance anyone needs to hear this, I'm just gonna say it. I think one of the greatest things you can do in your life, no matter who you are, is say what's up to people. If someone seems interesting to you, the worst you'll get is a brush off doesn't matter if it's a woman or a man whatever the situation my all of my connections pretty much my whole life has become has have happened because i have said what's up to people and have initiated things like mm -hmm. i've taken that step whether it's saying what's up to someone at a bus stop um talking to a girl at a concert or even alex alex and i had a class that was like online yeah. and i hit him up afterwards and be, yeah. and i said I feel like we would have been friends if this wasn't COVID. Let's yeah. just hang out online. And now he's on the podcast. Like we do this awesome show together. Exactly. Um, so just, I, I know it can be hard, but just put yourself out there. Say what's up to people and just give it a chance because you never know. And you never know. I think this relates really heavily to the movie actually um, in a sense that like if you're afraid of not seeming cool, or you're afraid of being cringe or being embarrassed socially, um, you are a victim of this spinning everything bagel. Like you're so afraid to seem vulnerable or to seem open, you know, or to seem like genuinely interested in something because you don't know how someone else will view you for it, that it like confines you to this little shell of a life. So. I don't know. The 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 film I think comments on that really well. I mean, it's not about like making new friends or anything like that, but it's about being present and finding the good things like in the moment, right? Yeah, being kind to each other, accepting sort of all sides of your family and loving people. So I had a um, question for you. Little discussion question. Okay. Where was the emotional core working for you in the film? And w and for me, I wanted to ask it like I'm going to split this up into three ways. Was okay. it with Wayman's character? 
Was it with the relationship with her daughter, Joy, or was it with the relationship that she had that was more subtle but still overbearing with her father? So the father thing is definitely present. It's definitely interesting, and I love that performance by... um, James Hong. Oh, God, what's his name? James Hong, who's like 92 years old now. (laughs) He's been in a lot of things. Oh, yeah. Nerds might know him from a lot of voice work in like Diablo, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, but to answer your question, I think it's it centers around the nexus of Evelyn Wang. And I think it's just as strong with uh, Wayman's character, mm-hmm. th- their sort of interplay and how that evolves throughout the film. But I think the strongest one is probably the one with her daughter mm-hmm. because it's about pulling her back from the edge by accepting her you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and even that feels like a paltry explanation no Um, definitely i feel like the one that resonated with me the most was the relationship between husband and wife but i think the strongest one overall in the film that's that's maybe more of the actual nexus of the film is the mother daughter but i don't know in saying that it's everything all at once. I know, man. It you starts know? off. It, it with is a the perfect fucking title. Oh, <laughs> great title. I know, right? <laughs> it's it starts off with the husband and wife dynamic mostly. And then it goes into her and Joy and you know, Joy being this giant evil threat to the universes and everything like that. And then it like finishes off with her father. You like start to get an inkling of the pressures and everything that the the father had on her, but also the hurt that she felt that he just like let her go. It unfolds. It unfolds in segments. It's like a like a layered flower. Yeah, yeah, like a beautiful tapestry. <laughs> and like the, th- the this is the insane thing that like we're saying these things and we're talking about the we're using these superlatives to describe a movie that has a scene with a security guard fighting with a butt plug in his ass. No Two pants of them, on. yeah. Like, what does the other guy have? The, the other like guy a... was trying to get the butt plug, ends up going away for like two frames, and then you see him come back in like a fighting stance, and he has like a bowling trophy shoved up his ass. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, I just was like, I couldn't you have believe Jamie Lee Curtis doing pro dude, wrestling backbreakers. Dude, she was great. I just want to say eating Jamie, cookies. Like not I didn't even, even know it was her until this morning, and I looked it up. I was like, oh, "That really? was Jamie Lee Curtis." Oh, dude, I don't know how as, that escaped me, but it did. Not even as the IRS inspector. I mean, she was great as like the curmudgeonly, like you know, rough old IRS inspector that has just dealt with too many of people's bullshit. But yeah. also as like. She did great as an actress, just morphing into these roles where she was like this acolyte for her, you know, Jobu Tupaki or whatever, and like doing yeah. all of these weird <laughs> things and like the slow motion swinging of stuff, like the faces she was making. I was like, man, you're really getting into this, Jamie Lee Curtis. This is awesome. <laughs> she was great. Everyone was great. I think the most touching performance to me was definitely Kei Hu Kwan. Oh, right. Wang. I don't know why he's not in movies. It's interesting that, like, I, I don't know what prompted him to be in this when he's barely been in anything since the 90s. Yeah. But I'm, I'm glad that they, they got him in there. Oh, me too. 
Um, I think that he, he like captured that kind energy so well without him being like at the beginning of the film, I thought he was going to be kind of like a milk toast, right? Like I was like, Oh, she's going to walk all over him. Like it's the typical story or trope of like the husband who doesn't wear the pants in the family. Right. Um, <laughs> and then it added a weird flavor when he was the one pushing for the divorce, you know, cause you, you see that at the beginning and I'm like, oh, okay. So you do have kind of like a backbone or something, or you realize that the situation you're in in your marriage is like not compatible and it's not jiving in a way that you like. Um, well, the movie takes an endless amount of like tropes or just, just things that exist in storytelling and makes them makes it so none of them are generic. They all unfold in a completely yeah. genuine way. Right? There's no cynicism in the making of this movie, and even the way it handles elements that we've seen before is original and heartfelt and awesome. Yeah. I can't I can't lavish enough praise on this enough. Which is crazy because by the by the middle I was like kind of exhausted. I was like, uh <laughs> It's a long <laughs> it's, movie. It's amazing that it that it Well no, I mean just because of the frantic energy that mm-hmm. the sort of middle third has. Well, and yeah, the me, butt plug me not understanding yeah. that it was going to transform in the way that it did. And it's, by the way, it's especially wild when you can get cynical assholes like me and Alex to say this about a film with no reservations. Like, I would be shocked if this is, if this is not the best movie of the year. I was going to say, um, like, it came out. Or at least the most important. It came out in the worst possible time as far as Oscar buzz, right? I mean,. We've talked about how we feel about the awards ceremonies. We all know what happened this year. But still, if they don't like somehow give this film like a, a nod, I'm super excited for the movies that are come out for the rest of the year. Like if this is not the best movie that's going to come out for the year of 2022, well, there better be some fucking bangers out there just in the waiting. Well, I, I mean, mean Top Gun it, what the Academy out. says is great is a, uh, you know, <sighs> But I mean, they, this, it's like this... they gave an award to Parasite, so there's someone there that like that's true. Obviously has like a you know a, a brain cell <laughs> working in some different vein than just like trying to do lip service or like PR service, and so I don't. I have faith. I have faith that like something good will come of this, but it doesn't even need the Oscar. Let me just say that too to to be worthy of being the best film of the year. Um, and then really quick, because I thought this was funny while we were watching it, I was thinking of Parasite, and I was thinking of that fucking little rock monument, right? The, it's so metaphorical. That's or a little, so like, metaphorical. Tagline. And I'm yeah. like, that's it. That's what he's holding. He's holding this movie in that film, in Parasite. <laughs> if you were to like take a camera and go inside of that little rock thing, that's what this movie would be. Like, yeah, and I, I could need just, to watch this again. I was just marveling at the at the film at the screen because I was like, it's so metaphorical, but it makes so much sense. It wasn't too like airy metaphorical, right? And it wasn't like slam poetry yeah, metaphorical. It's, it's it was not so it, well done. It's like weirdly complicated, but in a way that doesn't really matter. It's not Tenet, you yeah. know? It's, yeah, it's it's complicated and like sort of convoluted, but that shit doesn't matter. It's Dude. just that, like the science part of that doesn't matter that mm-hmm. much. It's explained enough to where you're like, okay, it's just a vehicle to tell this story. 
that functions as a metaphor but even if you're not looking at it metaphorically then it's a vehicle to have all this like fun ridiculous shit happen um yeah i don't know man i need to see it again for sure it's it was a lot to take in it -hmm. was a roller coaster for sure we keep saying it but it was everything like uh it all at once it went through all these stages and then by the end when it has these montages where you're crying because it's like the most beautiful shit ever yeah and at the same time it goes back to like people with hot dog fingers like like eating (laughs) mustard um (laughs) you you like giggle like she's running down the street like with the guy on her shoulders chasing the raccoon oh who's gonna cook for him by living in his hat it's it is everything all once right it's um that's it's a wild one it's a weird one and i can't i can't wait to uh you know we're doing the northman next week Hell yeah. Which I have, I've been putting off watching it because I know we're going to do the show about it. And it, it, I just have this thought that this movie's going to make other movies feel pale. It, it might. You know? Yeah, it might. But like this, oh man. Or maybe it's just going to enkindle my love of movies. I hope like so. Like we, we talked about, when we talked about the movies that came out last year, we talked about how there were movies that we really, really liked. But mm-hmm. no movie that was like, oh my god, this is a cinematic marvel. Like, this is one of the best. Yeah. It's, it was one of the worst years for movies in terms of, like, having a classic. Yeah. This is a classic. This is going to be remembered. This is going to go down as... I mean, it's hard to say if it'll be a pivotal point in art or cinema. We may just continue along the, the, the trajectory of cynicism. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then Morbius type movies. <laughs> yeah. But Jurassic maybe not. World. Um, it, it certainly this makes me excited about movies in a way that I haven't been in a long time. Yeah. It makes me excited to go forward and watch The Northman and every, uh, all these other movies. It just makes me excited about movies. It makes me excited about film, especially, or excuse me, it makes me excited about film, obviously. Um, but I think the reason that I was saying that, like, it, I feel like it'll have a big impact societal, like philosophical, artistic impact is because it gives me hope and makes me excited to know that there are artists out there who, like, don't buy into just the insane amount of cynicism that is out there, you know? And, like, the, I don't, I, I really don't know how to elucidate I think, this well I enough. think it'll be uh if I think it if it does promote change it will be more gradual in that it shows other artists a different avenue of storytelling and mm-hmm. of emotionality that you can explore it's not going to be something where people watch it and it changes their perspective on life um I almost wonder what like a less critical like a more general audience member would make of this movie and what they would tease out of it. Would it just be a fun, silly thing? Well, see, or would it have the resonance? That's the thing is that that's why I think that the fact that it's grossed so much is like kind of an indicator in my argument's favor, right? Like only because... Uh, maybe, but it hasn't grossed as much as like, not I don't like know, Marvel, Doctor fucking, Strange or yeah. something. I'd, I mean more like... What what is it about this film that like is getting so many butts into seats, right? 
the critics are gonna always love good movies. They're gonna write about good movies. People like you and me will always like find little gems here and there. But I'm like, what is it that's like making people go into the the movie theater and and pay money? And it might be exactly what you're saying, actually. These little preconceptions of like, oh, they they do a little like visual nod to this or that or blah 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 or like it's really silly or like, dude, there's a security guard that fights with a butt plug and you know like it could get anyone into the movie theater for any reason yeah but wow like it it, the way that it 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 finishes off like this movie is so well finished right like it just feels like it would make everyone walking out of the movie theater feel almost the same exact way like right whether they can like whether they have their whether they're equipped to sort of explain that or not yeah Maybe. I don't know. I definitely agree that it has something for everybody. If you didn't like the movie, that's interesting. It is, right? Because I would want to know like, what you didn't like about it. Um, there are people, though, who do... like They buy into the cynicism wholesale. And I don't want to say cynicism over and over. Because obviously they're not going to like be like, Oh, I'm a cynic. What I mean is like they buy into the lazy cynical method of making movies and they go and they buy the tickets to these films that are that have no human element they have no emotional core and they have no message about the fabric of our that society. movie was too weird i'm gonna go watch yeah. morbius yeah <laughs> i know who jared leto is <laughs> yeah and like we ju- we just talked about some films like constantine that are like kind of like friday night popcorn movies that you can just kind of sit down and watch and iron man right that's like a perfect example but there's something about movies like this that are like they're trying to tell you something they're trying to like send a message trying to show you something yeah about about being alive yeah the possibilities and how to interact yeah i think if people don't like this some of the less some of the sort of middling reviews that I read said it was exhausting, like too much of a good thing, mm-hmm. which I wonder if they left in the middle. I don't, I, 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 I can see that. I can see that. I can see it being too much for people, but all told it all, it all meshes together so well. Or if you're somebody, I don't know, like one of these alpha males who just the idea of being kind to people and that being like a superpower yes. that can Yes. Be, like be humanity like you have to fundamentally disagree with the humanistic message of the film i think to find it bad mm-hmm. exactly you know? and that's and a more that, severe that's problem. very telling about you exactly and you can stay the fuck away from me i know by the right way. Like, yeah <laughs> oh that's a great way to put it like <laughs> there was a segment like 10 15 years ago on fox news uh, about how mr rogers was actually like a detriment to people and like he actually made children feel like that everyone should get an award and that everyone's special and things like that and they were like trying to have a legitimate like argument about the psychological impact of that and i was like i just couldn't believe it right like make them grow up soft pansies exactly right and i'm like uh world war one and world war two didn't happen and they weren't waged by men who wanted that to happen they did it because they felt like they had to and yeah, it turned them into hard people. But if you asked them, they probably wouldn't have done it over again. They probably would have rather lived in the early 19th, 
20th century and relative peace. Um, yeah, World War Two is not the way it's pictured in John Wayne movies. Exactly. You know, right? Like it's a little bit more horrific than that. And just this caustic, cynical attitude about the world. Eventually, it like degrades society. People are just unhappy with each other, and like, just like you said, it's like it. it it's indicative if you hated this movie because of that element. It's indicative of something severely wrong with like your social skills or just your humanity in general. Um, I think, yeah, just whatever paradigm you live in, the way you see people as, I don't know if you see them as obstacles to your success or tools to be used. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, this is not a new thing. No. The 60s and early 70s were all about this, the whole hippie movement. Exactly. The, the clash against the sort of dehumanizing aspect of society. And we need something that. like that to happen again. Not not the same thing, obviously. It's not going to do anything if we all just like put our garlands on, smoke a joint, and watch mm-hmm. the Who play. Yeah, at, you know, a festival. It has to be something else, and it's something you can't predict because you know that's the way culture works. Dude, you know exactly. Um, but we do need a we do need a a mental and spiritual renaissance to save this fucking planet oh, and I this know. and and humans. Dude, I was going to say, I thought of all of this while I was watching the film, and I thought exactly of the hippie movement. And I thought of In Fear and Loathing when Hunter S. Thompson is talking about the watermark, you know? Um, And he was like, that was it. Before it turned into all about being like doing drugs until heroin got into the game. And it was less about expanding your mind and more numbing the horrors of Vietnam and, you know, 1960s American society. With and the right rights. kind of eyes, you can almost see where the wave broke, exactly. pulled back. Yeah, one of the greatest paragraphs oh, in right? uh, American writing, Oh, by the way, exactly. <laughs> American literature. Just to, yeah. Just totally to finish my like, thought real quick, though. I mean, oh obviously, God. I'm not saying that this movie is the thing to do that. No single thing is going to do that. But when you see signs of the sort of human narrative shifting in a positive direction, you want to celebrate that because we live in really, really, really dark times. Yeah. That's why I like to preface our show saying, I hope everyone's doing okay out there, you know, because oftentimes we're not. Yeah. Let's just be real. And I feel like there's been a a glut of that lately where people have almost um, rejoiced in that fact. Like, oh, nothing matters. Oh, whoever you vote for is just going to fuck you over anyways. To oh, be fair, blah, blah, to be blah. fair, that's a defense mechanism. And it's a defense mechanism that I have as well. <clears throat> Where I'm like, whatever, the world is dying. Like, yeah. fuck it, you know, because it's, and when it's I'm hard. S- what I'm, yeah, 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 what I'm saying is like, build that shelter or that shell of like, caring kindness and love and you don't need to expand it to everyone you know you don't need to go out and cure world hunger but if you let the other aspect and philosophy seep too much into your mind i feel like it poisons even the closest relationships around you and this film like you said i feel like is a great way to it's like a proclamation in a new direction right and so with the hippie thing, I think it's sad because I think that they were right there and they were on the cusp. But then the powers that be, whoever you want to say that is, um, kind of recouped that. And they kind of 
commodified it. 100%. All of a sudden you had 50, 60 year old dudes wearing flowery tight spandex t-shirts in the late 1970s. They started growing their hair out a little long. Newscasters had, you know, grown out their hair, got out of the slick back glasses look with the tie and everything. And all of a sudden it was like companies started to buy things and sell things that had little flowers on them, you know? My mom went to school growing up in the 1970s with like hippie shit all over the place, but she wasn't a hippie, but it was like the capitalist engine of whatever you want to say of America sunk its teeth into it, into the hippie movement, took what it could that was viable enough to sell back to the American people and then like sold them an image of it. But if you really look at it and you look back at what Hunter S. Thompson was saying, he was saying that they lost. He was like the hippies had it for a moment, but then it like just like spun out of control right and i feel like this film is a good way to show that there are people and there's like an artistic philosophical mind or think tank in the industry that feels a little bit different right i mean we're covering huge topics here and not everything we are we're getting away from the film not everything um, is stuck right into it but the meaning of this film and I think why I said it will be such an important piece of like work going forward in the century relies solely on, like you said, what we decide to, what direction we decide to go in. You know, it could just get shoved away in some fucking dusty corner and then blown to smithereens when everything falls away. And they're like, yeah, and that was nice. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just pulled up, I was just pulling up Hunter Thompson. I was looking at this quote. It's just so good. It's so good. Maybe we'll end on it. But um, to to draw back to the film, let's do some awards here. Let's do it. We haven't done this in a few weeks, but. So who gets our Phil Hoffman award for best performance? This one was really hard for me. It's a tough one, right? Because it's got to go to either Michelle Yeoh or um, Wayman Wang character um kehui kwan right yeah is it a draw i'm gonna give it to michelle yeah um only well, because then i'm gonna give it to kehui kwan okay nice just to just to spite you gotta make it a draw <laughs> just that screen time um the amount of close-up shots and like the efficacy that she can move her face into conveying emotions take a no, winona writer um, <laughs> uh, she is hey, just come on <laughs> come on now I know I'm picking on everyone's childhood crush I'm sorry I'm seriously I'm just watching Stranger Things and if you're a straight man in your 30s who likes movies <laughs> Winona <laughs> Ryder baby mm-hmm. yeah back in the 90s why no forever um, there's also a strong argument here for Jamie Lee Curtis I think she was she was oh. fantastic she was great I mean <laughs> Okay, she, she she gets an award from me, but just not this one. But Michelle yeah, is yeah. gonna get mine. Um, how about the "I Drink Your Milkshake" award for most memorable scene? Hmm. It's got to be Raymond talking about kindness for me. There's yeah. all that crazy action is going on. Yeah, like brutally murdering everybody. That and it changes like, and then she fights with kindness. Oh my! She God. literally uses kindness as a martial art. Dude, when she puts that <laughs> gag ball in, that was hilarious. Oh, dude, that's one of the directors. The guy who um Wait, gets that's spanked. Shiner? Oh, it is. Yeah. I'm looking at a picture of him right now. Yeah. 
Oh, that's fucking beautiful. Which is hilarious. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I think for me, the most memorable scene is related to yours. Um, but it has to be like the flashbacks that she has with Waymond and like their relationship when she's young or when they're young. And it shows how like kind and generous and like patient he is. Those scenes really got to me. I, I really loved those scenes for some reason. Yeah. But I don't know. It's hard. There's like so many different. There's so many different scenes. I'd have in the to film. come back at it again, like after uh, some time, probably I do. watching it again. Okay. This is going to be that kind of movie where if I'm hanging out with somebody and they haven't seen it, we're watching it. Right? Yeah. You know? Exactly. I'm going to show it to my girlfriend when she gets home from work in a few minutes and I'm going to watch it oh, all nice. again. I'm going to make her cry. <laughs> watch her totally hate it and just be like that person we were talking about. <laughs> And you, the, that's the end. Yeah. It's the end of the relationship. <laughs> Next week, we'll talk to you, and you'll be just, like, living out of a shoebox. Yeah. <laughs> be all sad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I think most memorable for me is going to have to be the moment at the... It's towards the beginning where they're in the IRS building, and they're, like, freaking out because she's just punched Jamie Lee Curtis, and security has come. And she's like, we left my dad. And they're like, oh, it's okay. We gave him all this yogurt. He'll be fine. And like, oh, it, shows, dude, yes. it shows him in the break room just like tonguing this like vanilla That like, shot. Snack they pack. didn't even say yogurt. They just said he's taken care of. And yeah. it, it cuts over to him just eating. You see like he's already gone through yeah. some of the puddings. I believe it was pudding, which yeah. makes it even fucking funnier. Uh, and he's just, like working on his next pudding. Yeah. I laughed really hard. Yeah. That gets my frozen banana award for most comedic scene. Okay. It was just a shot. It was just so. Yeah. And that's the thing about this movie as well. It's like all the little details. Every shot in this movie is like a little wonder. Yeah. It's like whether it's a comedic wonder or like a little heartfelt wonder, a little visual metaphor for separation <laughs> or for anxiety, whether it's the everything bagel of, of you know, doom that threatens to swallow us. Yeah. Which, by the way, I love that metaphor of the everything bagel. Oh, I because know. when you are in those depths, everything sucks. Oh, yeah. Everything is dark. Yeah. And it's just spinning, yeah. right? Like feeding it's into just itself. Spinning. It's a fucking black hole. It's so it's a cyclical. black hole of everything. Um, yeah, dude. And it's. I, I think for me, my frozen banana award is probably the first introductory scene with Jamie Lee Curtis. Just her like sitting at the desk, her little like potch belly kind of hanging over the edge a little bit. She's eating her little almond cookies, you know, just wiping the crumbs off and everything and like pointing to her butt plugs. I, I loved that whole scene. Yeah. Right. You saw those and you're like, what the hell is oh, up I, with those? I paused. The That's got to be used later. I paused the film and I had to look it up because I was like, is this just going to be like a weird little Easter egg or something? And then I was like, oh, it's like an IRS thing. And then the film it like explained it two seconds later. I was like, fuck, I should have just. Kept Do the watching. IRS awards actually look like that? I don't think so. I mean, they cannot. I, yeah, I no, not. those were obviously butt plugs. Because um, first off, no one is butt fucking the IRS. We're the ones that should be getting the butt plugs, right? Like they're the ones who come with the butt plugs. Yeah, to like they come tax with spiked the shit butt plugs. Yeah, all sorts, all manner of terrible things to invade you with. Now, DMV worker, I could, I could see that. <laughs> yeah, that too. They deal with a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, and you know, our, our, our I don't think our other awards are very applicable. What are um, the other? Awards? We have weird awards, man. The Roller Girl Award for most uncomfortable scene. Hmm. I don't know if anything was like uncomfortable, really. I guess if you don't like seeing people slapped in the face brutally okay. with dildos covered in one. blood. Um, okay. At one point, Waymond needed to do something weird to get him to jump to a different universe. Oh, the paper cuts? Yeah, and he had to do the paper cut thing, and it's just uh, like... Oh, that was like, that. that was pretty... Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll give it to that. That works. And then we, we do also have our Willem Dafoe Award for most erotic scene, which I feel like the need to explain every time because people might not have seen Antichrist and understand <laughs> that it's sort of a, a joke on that. Um, I don't know if there was an erotic scene other than the dildos being, you know. What about like, like sensually licking each other's hot dog fingers with like okay. ketchup and mustard in their mouths yeah. on the television. Yeah. <laughs> it kept cutting back to that. It yeah, kept cutting I, back to that <laughs> even when it was like a really somber moment. I know. And like having those like time and space montages. Dude, it would just be like something really touching, some like beautiful <laughs> shots, some nice lighting, and then just like the girl with like a hot dog in her mouth and like ketchup and mustard all over her dress. And then a reverse it's shot. It's impossible <laughs> to explain how bonkers and weird that shot is. It's like something out of David Lynch when it uh, comes in. Oh, yeah. Which is another point. There's some Lynchian elements to this film. There is. There's Where actually, you're just like, uh, what the fuck? There's actually a direct <laughs> reference. Um, really? In one of the collage photographs of Michelle Yeoh's face, because there were so many different things that they had her dress up and do. One of them is her in the red room with like the Ziggy Zag lines and everything from Twin Peaks. But oh, wow. you have to like pause the film in fr- in between yeah. frames to catch them. People have done it on the internet. I'm not super interested in looking at all of them, but it's cool how they did that. Creates a wonderful effect on film. Um, and I was going to say... This film like borders on sometimes being as beautiful as something like uh, House of Flying Daggers and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Like it gets on that level of beauty sometimes. Hmm. It is a very nice looking movie. Just like orchestrated beauty. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Orchestrated beauty. Okay. That makes more sense. Like some of the shots with Claire de Lune playing or other piano pieces, you know, and it's like in slow motion or it's like, I don't know. It was just it's an, it's an epic cinematic adventure, man. It hits yeah. all the bases. All of them. Beauty to horror to sadness to uh, yeah, I don't know. Everything all at once. So so what you're saying though is we should make one of those uh YouTube videos where it's like everything you missed. Oh. And everything everywhere all at once. Make the thumbnail just like like a shocked we make face. It, our faces looking shocked yeah. with like our hands over it. Exactly. And then like a hot dog going into your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's in caps lock. Exactly, um, dude. Yeah, <sighs> no, let's um let's wrap it up, man. Beautiful movie. Maybe yeah. definitely the best new movie that has come out since we started this show over a year ago. Definitely. Best new movie we've covered. Um, it's impossible to say like, oh, it's one of the best of all time, but it's definitely a new metric, man. Oh yeah. It's awesome. It, it, it's phenomenal. Everyone should see it. It's everything that my co-host just said. 
<laughs> all at once. And you know what? Just because we alluded to it, I'm going to leave off today by reading this little thing from Hunter Thompson. Perfect. Because why not? I'll shorten it too. Strange memories on this nervous night in Las Vegas. Five years later, six? It seems like a lifetime, or at least a main era. The kind of peak that never comes again. San Francisco in the middle 60s was a very special time and place to be a part of. Maybe it meant something, maybe not in the long run, but no explanation, no mix of words or music or memories can touch that sense of knowing that you were there and alive in that corner of time and the world, whatever it meant. History is hard to know because of all the hired bullshit, but even without being sure of history, it seems entirely reasonable to think that every now and then, the energy of a whole generation can come to a head in a long, fine flash, for reasons that nobody really understands at the time, and which never explain, in retrospect, what actually happened. There was madness in any direction, at any hour. If not across the bay, then up the Golden Gate or down 101 to Los Altos or Lohanda, you could strike sparks anywhere. There was a fantastic, universal sense that whatever we were doing was right, that we were winning. And that, I think, was the handle. That sense of inevitable victory over the forces of old and evil. Not in any mean or military sense, we didn't need that. Our energy would simply prevail. There was no point in fighting, on our side or theirs. We had all the momentum, we were riding the crest of a high and beautiful wave. So now, Less than five years later, you can go up on a steep hill in Las Vegas and look west. And with the right kind of eyes, you can almost see the high water mark, that place where the wave finally broke and rolled back. Thanks for listening to the Real Weirdos podcast. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>